0: And welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. I'm drinking coffee at four in the afternoon because I fell asleep for like two hours today in the middle of the <laughs> afternoon. My time is all messed up. I don't know where I'm at anymore and things are disorganized. As you guys can probably see if you're watching this, I am on my laptop yet again because I have no freaking clue where I put my webcam. But Devin joins me today to discuss all kinds of
1: stuff. Devin, what have you been up to, yes. man? Uh, well, it's it's 6 p.m. here, and so I'm drinking wine, because it's after 5. <laughs> and, and I've been working all day. But, uh, oh, man, I've just been slammed with uh, so much studio stuff. Nothing's been fun. I haven't done any on-location stuff. Um, I think I might have something for Al Jazeera later this week. That's still tentative. Uh, but... For the most part, it's it's just been dealing with the holidays and tons of work at the studio. There's a pile of boxes behind me. Uh, most of them are Christmas gifts for other people. I'm not, like, building a studio or something of interesting like that. It's just Collecting lots Amazon of parts boxes. and pieces and everything put together, yeah, so... But, uh, t- dude, that is it with me. How have things been going with you after your trip? Are you uh, slowly getting alchemated back to
0: normal life? Yeah, t- uh, t- the time difference is close enough to the same that you kind of just move into the new time frame when you're in Singapore. But when you get back, you you, you don't move back quite right. So <laughs> I'm still messed up there. And then we just moved here to this new place uh, during that same transition so everything i own is still in boxes um i only have like five sets of clothes to wear so it's been on a repeat for the last uh a while now it's uh, these these <laughs> chonies are old uh man but uh, otherwise nothing exciting to report december is pretty slow month for me as far as filming goes, and it's raining here, so I'm not It's out.
1: raining here. That's bizarre, too. I think December's a slow month for a lot of video people. Not a whole lot of companies are out uh, asking for videos to be made as they try to make their fourth quarterly. so...
0: Yeah, starting next week, you know, I won't probably even see anybody in the office uh, from there till the new year, because... You you get there, and people have little notes taped to their cubes and so on that are like, (laughs) I'm out of the office until after Christmas. You know, like, oh, great, okay. Yeah. And then you look at your project list, and there's nothing on it. It's like, there's there's nothing
1: to do. You you get to the office, and you're like, there's not even anything for me to do here. I'm going to be doing maybe some safety training or something of that nature, (laughs) you know. That sounds fun. That sounds real fun.
0: Oh, yeah. All right. On that note, I think it's probably... Time for the news. First thing I've got on the list here is actually, and I'm using a, I got two mouses here too. That's confusing as heck for me. Boy, am I organized. Uh, The first thing up on the list is actually the GH4 price drop. You can now find it for $900. That is very attractive pricing. Uh, I've also seen it used for as low as $800. So the GH4 price drop, do you think that means that we're definitely going to see a GH5? at NAB this year?
1: Uh, no. Well, th- first off, it's still gray market. This is still uh, a few resellers on uh, eBay, but I take it they're dropping price because whatever they're getting it for is also kind of dropping price. Uh, but yeah, I'd say, considering it's kind of been slowly ramping up, uh, I mean, we've, we've had this GH5 discussion a few times. I think, yes, Panasonic needs to get back out there because of the a7s2 and all that going on with that and the fact that that's risen to popularity uh more or less i mean you talked about it on the last podcast how well it's kind of the same camera it does have 4k internal but there isn't a huge selling point besides 4k internal which for a lot of production flows doesn't matter so that all being considered you know you've got a much cheaper version while you have this expensive version coming out at the same time um but sony has right now a lot of the attention because everyone's been talking about their low-light camera, especially to just coming out with the uh, FS7, FS5. So for all of that, Sony right now has a big grab on attention. Panasonic still hasn't come out with any kind of successor to uh, an AF100, uh, like there's been rumors about here and there. Yeah, but the AF100
0: was pretty junky, man.
1: No, no, it was. I'm not saying it was a perfect camera. I mean, so many people, so many people on on their message boards were like, oh, this is going to, like, change the industry, and it's just... (laughs) it's awful it it wasn't it was a good idea it wasn't revolutionary but we kind of saw that come back when you know the c series came from canon that was kind of the idea with hey let's go with interchangeable photography lenses uh, and still give you things like xlr inputs and all the other stuff that you need so look at these prices man yeah you can pick one up now
0: for like 500 bucks I it's pretty that's like low a, bit rate, though, guys. Yeah, it's, that's like uh, a GH2 sensor, I believe, that they've got slapped yeah. into that guy. Man, now, you're talking about eBay and the price for the uh, GH4, and I wanted to mention, I don't know if you saw this, but Canon's actually suing several of the sellers on eBay that uh, are selling Canon products gray market at extremely discounted prices. Oh, I haven't and, seen that at all. Yeah, there's a, a big lawsuit, and in fact, uh, let me see if I can find... The link, actually, I don't know, have any clue where the link is, so I'm not going to go
1: I know it. nothing about legal stuff and legal jargon, uh, but to me, that just doesn't sound like something you, I don't know, that you can do. I mean, I guess... Well, they didn't just I, uh, start
0: to sue the companies that are selling them. They're also, they named in the lawsuit, the CEO of FN, I think it's FNV or FNS. Uh, that's one of the main resellers on eBay of these, like, when you see the 5D mark three, for example, as like a bargain basement price of maybe like $1,900 or Uh, Mm $1,800. It's usually those guys. And what they do is they go to another market and they use currency exchange in order to purchase, like if you go to Singapore, for example, it's 70 cents to the dollar. So they can buy a bunch of cameras at that pricing and then take the kit apart. You have the discount of the kit plus the discount of the currency exchange and sell them in the United States and make, uh, you know, enough of a profit to to move cameras. Justify so they, all that work. Yeah, yeah and they do, do it in volume. Bulk. So, And they've been getting away with it for the last five or six years, and no one's really said anything about it because everybody sort of knows what gray market is and how it works. But Canon has gotten kind of upset with them and has started filing lawsuits against these companies for doing that. And they've named two of the main eBay sellers, but there's still a lot of smaller ones that are out there kind of still getting away with it maybe it's not a big enough uh company to attack directly so there may be firing shots across the bow but it is interesting that uh canon as their market share and money starts to fall off that they are suing these guys now and trying to find other ways to make their money back
1: yeah it's i mean that that really is interesting because uh, there aren't many markets where doing that is a viable business plan Where currency conversion is actually going to net you any kind of profit uh, just because of, you know, banks and a lot of taxation and stuff like that that goes on in between all that stuff. But then with gray market, you can, I'm sure, kind of skirt some of that stuff. So it's interesting. I don't think Canon, though, is actually going to accomplish anything other than make it known that this is an unacceptable practice, uh, which, you know, might help them with their branding or whatever. But. This feels like one of those situations where uh, you may stop a few companies from doing it, but a few more will pop up and keep doing it because there's uh, there, there's a way to make money off of it. So it's it, but it's, I get why Canon doesn't want their product devalued, but that almost makes it sound like Canon you know hates the used market as well, uh, which I'm sure they do because they to be honest the used market is a sign of uh, profit loss. If someone else buys a used five D Mark III that is money that doesn't go to Canon. That's money that goes to somebody else. So uh, instead of focusing necessarily on how many cameras are in circulation and those are the numbers you should focus on, uh, some companies will focus on, yeah, we, you know, when so many people resell our products because either they don't like it, they don't meet expectations or whatever, we don't get any of that money from those customers, those secondary customers. Um, yeah, I, I think that's silly thinking and I think that they already did get money from these sellers they're just trying to stop devaluing them because it's hurting their sales in America. And so the profit margins they're supposed to make in America and other places, they aren't hitting right because people are going to this gray market stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. But I imagine like a lot of this stuff, it's going to be litigated for years and we won't even know what happens after it does because it'll all be, you know, NDA.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see the uh, announcements as the, they sort of go after these people. But uh I want to switch gears on this and talk about gray market for just a second, Devin. Have you ever yeah. bought any gray market cameras?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm pretty sure my um, uh, my GH3 was probably gray market, if I recall right. No, eh, no, I, I, no. I think my my GH3, I think was Adorama, if I remember right. It was a while back. Uh, a lot of lenses. There's been a few. No. Even all the lenses have either been used or they've been uh, the cheaper, like, Sigmas or something like that, and I just buy those pretty much at MSRP price.
0: So I've got two right here that are gray market. Uh, I've got the 5D uh, Mark III. I don't know if you guys can... Here you go. 5D Mark III <laughs> and the 6D. These are way too big for my little tiny web camera here. But uh, both of these were bought gray market, and both of them were in that sort of, like, crazy, wacky deal phase. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember... The price structure for the 5D Mark III, but uh, before they discovered the raw hack, the camera was dipping down under the $2,000 range. I I believe I picked it up in one of those fire sales for like $1,800, then it flew all the way back up to $3,000 and some change when the raw hack came out, and now it's finally settled back down into that $1,800-ish range again, now with the the suspected 5D Mark IV coming out. And honestly, other than the shipping issues that you get with gray market cameras off of eBay, it's a pretty good deal. I mean, the 6D, I I want to say I saved like 500 bucks buying the 6D body. Um, and that was fairly close to when it was released within like six months, maybe eight months of the release of the 6D. So, and when I talk about the shipping issues probably should mention, a lot of these sellers, since they're shipping from either overseas or some kind of intermediary warehouse, they require a signature when it shows up. And so you have to be home in order to receive your product. Right. So that's where it can be issue for some people and you see a lot of complaints is because if you're not there, uh, they'll try three times and then send it back. You can call the carrier if it's UPS or FedEx and have them hold it at, you know, one of their main stations, and you can go sign but for if, it there. But if it's, but
1: like, DHL, then you really don't have a chance. Yeah, where are you going to go? As far go? as I know, DHL doesn't let you do that stuff.
0: Yeah, and so you got to be careful with that and make sure that you have, like, a relative a family member or somebody home to sign for it if you're ordering them. But otherwise... Man, uh, the cameras, they work great. I've had my 5D Mark III f- since the release. I've had my 6D for quite some time. Love both of the cameras and had no problems with either one of them, uh, other than the battery grip issue. I think I mentioned about that weird blue line I was getting, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. So <laughs> uh, gray market cameras, not that bad of a deal. Uh, I hope that Canon fails to crack down on this simply because I like enjoying the discount. Now, moving on down the line here, we've also got some EVF news. And this is kind of interesting actually to see that the announcement came after the camera was released. You might be familiar with the Leica SL we've talked about on the podcast before that had a very impressive uh, EVF built into the camera. And after its release, Epson announced the EVFs, the, the actual image imaging chip that's being used in there. And it, it looks really nice. It's a little bit bigger than what you get in a GH4 body. Uh, those are around 0.5 inches. This is 0.66 inches. And the resolution is 1400 by 1050, which puts it into, what is that, GXVA or something like that? Devin, you, you Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't even know what those resolutions are. Yeah, uh, all those wacky, VGA. like, VGA, QVGA, XVGA, all those. But the yeah. point I'm getting at here is uh, that's... A phenomenal amount of pixels jammed into a really tiny space you know less than an inch at what point do you think we get from we go from having these be sort of adequate i mean you've used the gh3 gh4 mm-hmm. the viewfinder it's better it's better but it's not amazing uh, at this point this is like 35 or 40 percent more pixels than what's on the gh4 uh, when we get to that point and go above that you, you think it will no longer even need a dslr like a mirror in order to to get the same
1: quality uh, absolutely not absolutely not <laughs> and no? uh i i While I see it improving, yes, uh, there's a fundamental flaw when it comes to photography, I mean on video. Uh, it, we've always had EVF That's so it's the only way to do video because video is just electronically transmitted and stuff like that so EVF has always been necessary for video so it always feels like something that's comfortable but you're like I could always do this one thing I've noticed though with every EVF system for photography purposes is that um, it just it won't do low light like it will, it will sit here and bring down the refresh rate in order to match kind of the shutter speed that it's previewing at to like see oh, what that's you're a good point. trying to, to a picture of. So anytime you're in a low light environment, uh, it becomes laggy and slow. And that's not any fault of the EVF. That's just the physics of your sensor is allowing more light in so you can preview your composition before you take your photo. So it's always frustrating to use in low light environments. Uh, so I still see a lot of photographers. I mean, right now the mirrorless market's blowing up. You can't deny that. And the mirrorless market... Uh, probably over the past two years, maybe it was only the last year, has started taking away market share from the DSLR market. And I see that as a growing trend. That's something that will happen. But I think on the pro level, your guys who are doing the 5Ds and the 70s, whether they're, at the football stadium or they're in Iraq, uh, you know, in the in the war, whatever that's going on, when, they're, when the action's happening, I see a lot of photographers who are going to want that kind of, like, accurate responsiveness that, like, it just works. You look through it and you see what you're going to take a picture of and you can have a lot of confidence in what you're taking a picture of. Uh, EVFs do bring a little bit of confidence in the fact that, like, you can preview an image after you've taken it without taking your eye off, which is kind of cool. Uh, that may be niche for some people, but that's kind of cool. As well as Um, if the EVF is matching what the photo will look like, you already know your exposure, color, white balance, and everything else before you take the photo. So it's interesting because you can get a lot of feedback from an EVF to know what the final product will look like before you pull the trigger. Uh, but then, at the same time, if you 're rapid firing and running around and trying to get triggers, and you 're used to already working off of your uh, uh, built in light meter and stuff like that, an EVF is just going to slow you down. So I never see it completely going away, but this I feel like is reaching the level when you talk about um, over a thousand by a thousand pixels. It does get blown up like that that sounds like really nice, but understanding the optics and how like any small uh, space between the pixels and stuff like that, that all gets blown up once you put it through optics so that it properly matches with your eye, so your eye can focus on it. Um, you, you know, it's it, to see that, I go, this is impressive and I love seeing this kind of stuff because for video cameras, this is absolutely necessary. Uh, that's the reason why I spent a bunch of money on EVF because having high detailed... Uh, images in your EVF is absolutely crucial for video. Unless you're lazy the... like me and use
0: just a screen <laughs>
1: with a box around it because I don't like putting my eye up against stuff. Sure, sure. But in the in the video market, since mirrorless has blown up, I see EVFs becoming more popular uh, and more important in the mirrorless market and probably a lot of people who are on the fence who are like, well, yeah, you know, a, a mirror is nice, but if it means I can, like, minimize my camera profile, which makes it lighter and I can use smaller lenses with it or I give, you know, an ability for adapters. We've talked about this, the advantages of mirrorless uh, over mirrored. Um, You know, this, this kind of technology can push them over the edge where being like, well, now I'm actually having an enjoyable experience taking pictures. Like I said, low light, I don't think there's any way around low light being a pain Unless you take away some of the advantages of EVF, where instead of previewing what your exposure will be, you'll just kind of like maintain a higher shutter speed uh, while having a slightly darker image, which makes it a little harder to compose, but at least like it's more reactive well, if you're they could turning do, around shooting a
0: lot. They could do some tricks too. Uh, you know, on a, a regular DSLR, you have your preview button that you have to push in order to see like what your f stop setting is. Sure. And what it actually looks like. And the, otherwise the lens goes wide open. So there are mm-hmm. ways that they could kind of. Uh, get more light into the camera to to work with that. Uh, honestly, for me, I don't even... My GH4, it got exposed to salt water. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, a couple... Like, seven or eight months ago or a year ago now. Uh, it's been quite some time. And because uh, I was shooting uh, on the ocean and long story short, uh, waves. Uh, those, those are a thing. <laughs> they happen. They splash you. Um, yeah. And the camera came out okay, but ever since then, my... Uh, evf has been permanently fogged like i can't see anything through it, it i mean and I you haven't see.
1: repaired it no it's like two screws two yeah. screws man
0: is it i've never i didn't even look i'm like well i don't really use it that much i, I just don't i'm pretty sure it
1: if i recall right it's been a while but i feel like i've already taken my evf off of my gh3 and since they're the same body I imagine they're similar where it's just like a couple screws um, and I think it's for the purpose of replacing the glass in case the glass gets cracked or something like that. Hmm. So it's supposed to be an easy to replace part, maybe. I don't know. It's It's been a while. That could have been another camera. It's It's been a long time. But yeah, I think I, that that's something you could probably fix. I've just but been working like, around it. it. Like
0: I've just been like, eh, I'll use the flip I, out screen. You're it's like, fine. I use
1: screens. I, 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 Sunshades. I'm Mr. Sunshade over here. I don't believe in having <laughs> anything against my eyes. I can't be bothered. I just sunshade all day.
0: I don't like uh, having DJ hashtag sunshade all day. Yeah, the other issue, you know, I, well, <laughs> man, okay, the, the point is I, I've, I've lived with it for quite some time, and it, it really hasn't affected my use. Even in photography, uh, I don't use the GH4 for anything that will be remotely low light. Uh, you know, 1600 ISO is it for the GH4, so if I'm planning to go out and shoot something that's going to be you know, indoors with poor lighting or it's going to be at night or anything else, I'm going to either grab my uh, 5D Mark III or the A7S. I'm not going to grab the GH4. And for everything else, man, the the flip-out screen's just fine. I, I can handle it. Yeah, and, you know, even if I forget to bring a little box to go around the GH4 screen, you know, I can do this. It's not that hard to <laughs> put my hands around the screen and, and shade it and look in there. So, and it works. The screen is really nice on the GH4. Uh, well, it And the screen's bright, me.
1: too. I've been really impressed from going from, I was one of those who went from a T2i to a GH3, and I believe the GH3 and GH4 screen are identical. It was only the EVF that got upgraded, but don't quote me on that. Um, but the uh, the screen brightness on the GH3 really can do just fine, in even in some outdoor environments. I mean, it's not the brightest monitor. My EVF is brighter than it, and so are some of my 7-inch screens, but... Uh, I, I'm pleasantly surprised on overcast days I really don't need a sunshade on that screen if I'm shooting straight off of the screen which most of the time I am because in video the, the video DSLR scape you're not really ever shooting up against your eye just for you know things you attach to it and everything else it, it, it always becomes something slightly off of you that you hold it's never something like photography where you hold it up to your eye. so uh, but I've been impressed by the screen and I think a lot of the screens are the same way I can't speak to the A7S how good that screen is, because I haven't used that outdoors, but... I wish that the A7S had the flip-out screen instead of Sony's <laughs> stupid
0: accordion thing. Because, I mean, yep. it's, it is nice if you... I know we've talked about this before, and you kind of scold me for this, but I like to shoot <laughs> with my camera at my chest, so having the flip-out screen on the A7S to look down at is fine, and, and that doesn't bother me at all, but a lot of times I want to flip it up and turn it towards a direction or, you know, have it off to the side, and you can't oh, get yeah. that. And so it's really... It- frustrating but the screen looks nice
1: Well, oh, and it's so funny because i uh, you know shooting with a t2i way before the flip out screens um uh were really popular in these dslr for video cameras the uh it was one of those where like when i was looking at the gh3 and a few other options i was like well do i need a flip out screen like how important is that really and then once you have one because it had been a while since i like used a dvx 100b or something like that at that point uh but then once you start using it again you're like oh my gosh just every single shot like you set it up on a tripod and you can like you know stand to the side of a tripod if you need to scoot the tripod to the back of a room you could butt it up there and face the screen you could shoot yourself and it's super easy like just all these things where you're like oh cool i don't have to carry around a second monitor to like make sure i'm getting the job done
0: this is pretty much standard in every one of my canon bags I have a small HD, DP6, or DP4 to carry with me because I, I need a monitor to change mm-hmm. directions. But with the GH4, no monitor in the bag whatsoever. In fact, like I don't even bother. There's, there's no real reason because the flip-out screen is good enough for most things. It, it, it takes the place of a monitor and I want flip-out screens on everything. I want yep. them on all my cameras. I don't care, Canon, if you think it's
1: unprofessional to have a flip-out screen. I want a variant <laughs> of the 5D Mark III with I, a flip-out screen. With that being said, I don't think Canon doesn't include flip-out monitors because they don't think it's professional, and they think, like, oh, you should be using our viewfinder. That's the whole reason for an optical That's actually one of their uh, press releases.
0: It says... We unprofessional? Don't wanna, yeah,
1: unprofessional
0: and the, not unprofessional in the sense that it would make you look amateurish. Unprofessional as in they aren't able to seal the body to the professional level that they think they should
1: for yeah. that level of camera. And it's more about water sealing and uh, Yeah, you know, absolutely. Durability. Well, that's that's what I that's what I was thinking too because uh you know, uh Thanks to Digital Rev, I've seen like 7Ds and stuff like that thrown downstairs, and 5Ds, and it's amazing what some of these cameras can stand up to. And when you pay that much for a DSLR from Canon, you're you are getting a quality product uh, that's meant to handle the harshest conditions there this is. This guy's been dropped from ten feet, and I've got a ding right there, and that's it.
0: You know, I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of durability right. you get out of the 5D Mark III, and, the, and then well, to a lesser
1: extent the 60. So I I get I get not having a flip out on something like the 5D's. Um but uh you know it still seems like something for me at this point the market's changing and even though you may not like it it may be something you start looking at accommodating because it wouldn't be impossible to have a flip out screen that is su- that that has the weatherproofing that they desire uh but at the same time then it's just easily replaceable or like they locked it in somehow or had like a a locking
0: mechanism for the screen that would probably do away with some of the durability issues that they were concerned with. You know, uh, maybe well, like if, some sort of engaging teeth or something like that. To yeah, keep it. and
1: and if if you wrap the screen while it's closed, if you wrap the screen uh, inside of the body as opposed to like the GH4 where it's kind of just a part of the body that hangs out from it, um you know that that can help to toughen it up too. I mean, I'm not a camera designer, I'm not an engineer, I don't know any of this kind of stuff, but. Uh, I think that having it kind of easily replaceable with the assumption that some people are going to drop this and it's going to break the screen, but the rest of the camera will be fine. And just making sure that that part is somewhat easily serviceable by Canon, say, maybe they don't want to deal with the warranty costs because maybe that would be covered under their warranty because they're usually really good about, uh, you know, uh, their warranty. How long does their warranty usually go? And it's like only one year, year. One uh, year for warranties, really?
0: Yeah. Um, but if you I don't pay know why the- I thought it was more. You can pay for the, the Canon professional service, which I paid for for a number of years. So I don't pay for it right now. But uh, you can send your lenses in. They'll clean your body. And I think they give you uh, 60% off on repairs. So if you really mess up, so it's kind of a warranty, not really because you're paying like $95 a year for the service. It's like
1: those cell phone like plans. But I used it to have my body
0: cleaned. So because they give you two free cleanings. And then if you go to an event where the Canon professional booth is there, anything that you bring with you from Canon, they'll clean for you. So you can have Mm -hmm. your lenses all taken apart and clean. You know, if you have gunk, uh, I've sent in lenses before when I had like uh, fake blood stuck to all the sides (laughs) and stuff. It's really gross, and I mean, it's a pain for me to clean it off because I mean, alcohol wipes and like Q-tips and stuff. You send it in to them; they have all the right tools to do that. They have like ultrasonic cleaners for the front elements and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty nice. I mean, it's worth paying for if you use it a lot of times. They're counting on you. Uh, not bothering with shipping your stuff in or, or whatever. so Sure, yeah, and that's where they make
1: their money. Now, yep. moving on down the line, because we've kind of wandered all over
0: the place here, I wanted to yes, talk a little about this Indiegogo here. This is the Luna camera, and it seems as though 360-degree cameras are all the rage. This guy had a goal of $50,000. They've reached the goal, and now they're up to $87,000. It has two 190-degree fisheye lenses, one on either side, a magnetic base to attach and is small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Do you think this is going to be any better than something like the Kodak SP360? And with the two lenses, do you think they'll have any software implementation that's good enough to use to sort of turn this
1: into a, a proper 360-degree image when they're done? Uh, Yeah, I mean, what? We've been watching, uh, What's what's the company with the stick thing? Theta? Something like that? Well, uh, there's like there's six flavors of that now uh what is yeah. Nokia
0: doesn't Nokia even have
1: their own yeah. flavor no, of Nokia probably camera? has one too uh but I think the really popular one that's been taken off is uh, from a brand called Theta I think they're kind of new they might have done a Kickstarter to get going or something like that but um uh Theta 360 looks like the one I'm talking about yeah this little stick camera I just I've seen everyone on YouTube using this one uh this one seems to be really popular Uh, I feel like we've had to talk about 360 before, about how it it, it can help kind of that VR environment, living experiences, uh, simulating experiences, uh, more or less. But in terms of storytelling and being cinematic, there's too many limitations on this kind of technology. uh, Just because if you're using the technology in a 360 fashion, then it makes it really hard because it requires interaction. And interaction in a way that is like more than just sitting on the couch, like a video game you can play sitting on the couch uh if you wear Google goggles and you watch a three sixty video uh you you have to spin around and move you got to use like an office chair, or stand up and do it. it it's like slightly more interaction. I know that sounds like such a small thing uh but well I think uh reading and watching all their sort of advertising
0: material for this particular camera they're kind of angling it towards mostly. Uh, action events, you know, they have a guy hang gliding, they have some people on the beach and so on. I don't think this company in particular sees themselves as a filmmaking event per se. It's more like, hey, experience what I just did because I'm so awesome. Look at how awesome my event was. You yeah, know?
1: but even then, I still feel like that is less. Like, I've watched so many GoPro 360 videos. I've been all about them. But even I understand that that is the crappiest version of the video. Uh, yes. It's like like the one good example, GoPro came out with a video of some, uh, I think it was indie cars. It might have been Formula One. Because I don't know if they were doing it with Red Bull or not. Anyways, they are doing some kind of high-end cars like that over the Golden Gate Bridge. And so and they had 360 video where while they're going over the Golden Gate Bridge, you jump between different cars and you could spin around. And if you're on your computer, you could pan it. Or the goggles, you could spin your chair. Uh, and it's one of those where I go... This is cool, but think about how much more exciting and exhilarating this video would be if they had like fifty different camera shots of it flying by cameras and like you know high end drone shots and stuff like that, and all these different angles and with editing and stuff like that to help build um, kind of the story. You know, that's not really a story, but like you you get what I'm it's saying. A little like, bit of momentum pacing. because otherwise,
0: yeah. you know, with the, an actual edited video, you are forced to go through the perspective of the editor, uh, through a scene. And if you watch the scene just with one camera straight on, it's way different than if you have cuts back and forth, you have dramatic uh, shots of you know hands in motion and things like that. And with cars driving, the same thing. You, know, you have wheels squealing, dirt being kicked yeah. up from the wheels, and, 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 and the and car's flying by. But if you're in a 360, you're just... Spinning well, around, yep, there's car number and one, car number well, two. And, and that's
1: that's part of this because inherently by having that interaction, you need to leave the editing loose because you need to give time for the person to interact with the environment. Uh, that's something that people learn in video game design is like, uh, how do you add pacing to something where you know somebody else is in control of when things happen? And that's kind of like you just have to be loose and let them do it on their own. You can't enforce a pacing on them. And so with 360 videos, uh, I really feel like they'll be around, but sooner or later, they're just going to kind of go away and people aren't going to be that interested in it. I know that seems like... So is this the next 3D? I feel like, yeah, it's the next 3D because, dude, there was such a boom with 3D. I mean, we had cell phones that could take 3D and show you 3D photos and video without needing glasses, which was ridiculous. always the complaint. Oh, 3D is going to take off once you don't need glasses. Um, and now, like, what are people talking about CES? Like, curved TVs and 8K and contrast ratios, which is the same thing. Uh, maybe not the curved part, but the same things they were talking about when they came out with HD TVs was contrast ratios and detail. So, like... <laughs> It's just it's one of those things where like 3D came around for a while and it went away and I kind of see 360 being something like it'll come and we'll still do it because we have technology that can do it. Uh, But it's one of those that I don't see it sticking around and I just don't see it being the best way to view a video, even if it is of an experience or a sporting event or something like that. There's some situations where this is super necessary. Uh, this kind of technology, say like you're taking some kind of robotic submarine to the bottom of the depths to like look around and look at stuff like that. There's places where this technology uh, can definitely be used and very useful. And maybe, yeah, I don't know, we reach a point where like 8K video in a 360 is the best way to shoot and then you just crop whatever you want. But even then, shooting 4K video and cropping in post, I don't think leads to very good results either. So,
0: well, in something it, like this, you know, your resolution is pretty low. Uh, if you look at like the video footage, the example footage from that Kodak uh, 360 camera, the SP 360, mm-hmm. that one, man, th- everything oh. looks awful. It, and it, and it's, you have to stretch things out and do some conversion it's, it's in not, order to get the image. And out it's of not the, just the
1: sensor; it's not even like you could say, "Oh, I'll throw an 8K sensor in there, it will make it no, look better." It no, won't, the optics, the optics it's super are super wide.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and so they're doing a bunch of trickery to like squeeze the world back into a regular perspective and by the time you do that your image quality is down into like the standard def range and looking at this I mean at least it has two cameras instead of doing that weird global
1: single camera in the center but sure it's
0: I don't know So it's the the two
1: thing. the only and, and in terms of filmmaking the only times where something close to an element of like 360 video has been done that I can think about that were like really helped to create a better product. And the end result was, um, uh, in the, the social network for some reason, uh, there was a, a, a long shot, a far away shot of, um, uh, the main actor walking down a street and for some reason rather than doing a pan and move i don't know if it's because they were limited by resources or what uh, they used three cameras and stitched uh, i think like three red cameras at 6k or something like that together and then did a digital pan with him down the street and it was along in a focal length that it didn't look like a digital pan if you get what i'm saying uh, like it can look if you're shooting wide and you're trying to crop later in post and then another way was in that um uh, the one with Tom Cruise and the end of the world with the one girl and the uh, the bubble ships and everything else. <laughs> uh, Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? No idea. The, the bubble the, ship? The one with their Empire State Building is buried in sand. Like the whole world is just sand or whatever. It's all like dead. you talking Anyways, about Planet of the Apes? No, it was Tom Cruise, man. Anyways, I'm not going to look it up, but uh they so what they did was in their little uh uh control center which was like up above the clouds, uh they shot a 360 video from atop a mountain and then took that video and projected that 360 Oh, you're talking onto, about Cloud Atlas. No, no. onto a bunch of screens outside of the uh outside of their control room. So, um it's uh it's it was one of those where it wasn't necessarily something that made it straight to print. It was like they did a special effect and then they uh projected that special effect which did all the lighting and everything inside of there and uh and that was one of those times where I went, oh, they kind of made their own three sixty video rebroadcasted the three d video three sixty video in order to like have all the proper lighting and environment changes and everything else and so I also see it being very important for visual effects people to like get the lighting that they need and what's um but you they're talking it when, like
0: a three sixty degree with real cameras, not yes with none real of this, cameras. this like silliness that they've got here. These but, are consumer grade, like three hundred dollar range, you know, right, right, ball but, in your hand things. You're not going
1: to do any of that with something like that. Um, but what if I'm talking about like for visual effects? One of the biggest things to make visual effects work. Is environmental reflections and lighting. Yeah. And if for a really cheap product, instead of you know taking pictures of the Chrome Globe and like the white globe or whatever, the gray globe and like figuring all that stuff out, you could just shoot with a 360 video in that environment and then just to, to, copy paste it. And then two, it's even a video. So if you're doing camera moves and stuff like that. And your whatever 3D object is, is temporarily being filmed at that location with one of these 360 videos. Then when you get to post, while that object moves around the room, it's like, yeah, it's like some of the tracking is in there and everything else. So uh, for me, I'm like, that is, I I see it being useful for that.
0: Because imagine like ray tracing light around uh you know an actor in the middle of this you know virtual 360 scene so you pan around the actor but now you're having to do like light ray tracing for the face and you know however else and that yeah but but i'm I'm saying that i I
1: see this being used as a tool but not as a camera if that makes more sense i see it being used in a few situations to do cool stuff but not being a camera and the movie i was talking about was oblivion so never seen it i can tell i can tell (laughs) I don't watch uh, but a there lot of a, movies, man. I'm sorry. There is a cool behind-the-scenes to Oblivion for those that care about how they created that um, uh, helipad or whatever, that control tower that they were in and how they did all the lighting for it all practically to save them a ton of time in post instead of green screening and dealing with reflections and everything else. So that's interesting to check out if you're into that stuff. All
0: right, moving Next on down topic. the line, we should, uh, we're really running <laughs> these long today. Uh, this is the FS5. We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, this is the first practical... Hands on experience that we've kind of seen posted, and this comes from news shooter.com, uh, formerly what DSLR shooter.com. Probably, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dan Chung took this out and played around with this guy. Uh, what do you think, Devin? It, it looks like a great camera to me. I've been excited about the uh, FS5 from Sony for quite some time, especially in the price range. It's,
1: I think, it's um, retails like what, 5000 uh, yeah, yeah, actually it does. Uh, and the bigger brother, I think, retails for about seven and a half. The FS seven and the FS yeah.
0: seven hundred, by the way, folks, has dropped significantly in price. The form factor is still that weird, uh, boxy business. But
1: uh, no, no, it's not. It's the one that goes on your shoulder. The FS
0: seven. That no, the FS seven hundred.
1: Oh, 700. Which yeah, oh, that the one top has dropped end, in
0: price. Right. And uh, it's dropped in price. And if you look at can- or Sony's uh, layout for cameras, the FS700 sits more around the high range. It has a few more features than the FS5 and the FS7, uh, but it's the form factor. Uh, but the price has come way down because the FS7 and the FS5 are eating its lunch. Uh, the yeah. FS5, man, it is tiny. It is beautiful looking. Um It doesn't have the AF that uh, we've seen in Canon's C100 Mark II II. and C300 Mark II, but uh, everything else looks really nice. It even comes with, uh, uh, what, I'd say a fairly proper EVF on this guy?
1: Yeah, actually, the EVF was supposed to be one of the impressive parts of it, too, along with the low light. Uh, I think it's definitely a contender. The thing is, is that it's such a cheaper price. I know for a fact that uh, some of the news studios um, in America are actually looking at possibly using these to replace some of their cameras. Uh, Like we've talked about before, Blackmagic has been trying to convince broadcasters to use URSA minis and URSAs in place of their uh, broadcast ENGs, the market that's been dominated by Sony and Panasonic for decades now. Uh, But the um they've actually been thinking about uh, specifically the FS7 not the FS5 but the same same breed of camera uh for using B4 mount adapters and adapting their current ENG lenses to this form factor not necessarily for the sake of 4K but just having that flexibility of a wide exposure range as well as low light capability Even when cropping in for, uh, you know, the B4, it's still going to have really impressive low light compared to what these ENG uh, two-third inch sensor uh, cameras can, uh, you know, normally do in low light, which is usually pretty mediocre by today's standards. Uh, So... It's, it's something to consider that even the pros are looking at this because they're like, we're getting broadcast quality out of this, plus we can put photography lenses on it and do really fancy stuff, too, because a lot of new shooters out there would love to do more cinematic stuff, Um you know, not necessarily like they're trying to copy, uh, what's it called, uh, the H Vice. Not like they're trying to copy Vice's style, but there's a few new shooters when they're doing uh, features and stuff like that who would like to have a bit more flexibility and kind of shallow up the depth of field a little bit more and uh, have a little bit more control over what's going on with uh, the look and the camera of it. Now,
0: you shoot more news than I do. I don't really, I've never really worked in the, the mm-hmm. news environment. Uh, is autofocus a uh, primary uh manual or ma- mode of focus or do people actually no. go out and uh, manual focus on a regular basis? It's it's pretty much manual
1: if if you if you look at uh your usual like because I've seen a ton them. of
0: people with like FX 100s, the old Canon mm-hmm. like 2 thirds inch sensor cameras and when I see them out in in the wild with those there it looks like they're just uh, relying on autofocus and you know using their zoom rocker.
1: Yeah, it's uh for when you have what's like called video journalists or VJs uh, they'll usually just kind of have everything set to auto a lot of the time and they'll just be handed something like uh, HPX 170s or HMC 150s from uh, uh, Panasonic as well as like, you know, a few of the Canon ones and stuff like that. But uh, no, the guys who actually are camera operators and they aren't doing a second job as a journalist or something like that, uh their hands constantly on the focus. It's something they don't need to worry about uh, because they're constantly doing it. If you look at the design of an ENG lens, uh, which tends to be very long it has a very cone shape and it widens out to the end and they tend to be very wide lenses um, you'll see that it's built around the idea that one you hold on to the lens to maintain the balance of the camera on your shoulder as well as make sure it doesn't rock away from you and that's all of your controls just like if you you know the handle on a c300 has all your controls minus the zoom because you're on the lens so you can have zoom right there and the left hand is just constantly on that focus wheel so they're constantly touching it. Even if they aren't moving it, they're touching it because it's, hel- it's a support point for the camera so they can keep the camera still, uh, as well as if something suddenly changes, they can catch it in, you know, the, the guys who've been doing this for years, they, they can catch it in a millisecond when somebody moves a little closer to the camera or something like that changes. So they don't rely at all on an autofocus system. They don't trust it at all. Their hand is on the focus because anything can happen and they're going to nail the focus as soon as that something happens. So... Part of that, it helps that they have a smaller sensor, so they do have a longer depth of field. Uh, so they have a little bit more leaning room, even when they go wide open at something like a 1.8 or 1.4, uh, because two-third-inch sensor is really tiny. It's kind of round, super 16-ish. So they, they, they still, you know... Um, You're not going to uh, have razor-thin depth, yeah. depth of field,
0: obviously, with a two-third-inch right. sensor. Right.
1: But that's one of the reasons why, you know, they'd be interested in something like an FS7 is that they get those abilities. For one thing, they could mount their, you know, lenses that they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on, still get good use out of them, and and which are great lenses for running around and getting the shot and getting into focus. And then, if if, uh, it's a slower pace and they want to go for something a little prettier, uh, they can throw on photography lenses on here because it's that Sony mount and you can adapt anything to it, some Canon L, glass, whatever you want. So... Uh, having that kind of flexibility, uh, I think, is what they're really interested in. And it's come down at such a point that it's really under uh, what sometimes our budget is for buying a new ENG camera so from Panasonic or Sony. So all that being considered, it kind of becomes like, yeah, this this kind of makes sense as the next generation of cameras. It's lighter. It's cheaper. Um, and it's starting to come out with all the broadcast quality we expect from our cameras. Yeah, I'm looking right now on B and H just to see, and it looks like the
0: FS5 without a lens is five thousand five ninety nine. So that is pretty attractive, especially when you consider like my A seven S or my Five D Mark three. I I paid around three thousand dollars for those cameras or or more. Plus, you know, you add a lens or two. Right. Something like this, it's pretty nice. And I paid, I paid this much <laughs> for my C one hundred. Which you know, thank God, I sold that before the market. Oh fell yeah. Out the I always complain about that, and everybody's like, oh, no, this is going to be the camera I use for the next seven years. And look at the fire sale on the C100. So oh, in your face, yeah. people who told me that I was crazy for not liking the C100. Now, Yeah,
1: absolutely. And remember, too, unlike any of the Canon cameras at all, while the Sonys are also cheaper, uh, you're also getting, like, you know, 240 frames at 1080. Like, yeah. talk about some serious high-speed stuff that – only, only Sony is really nailing, uh, because I can't think of any other cameras out there that aren't Sony. Even Sony point and shoots are hitting uh, 240 at 1080p. Yeah, but their so, point and
0: shoots, uh, they're, no, I, I, they're I know it's speed. not something it's you'd use. Rough. I mean, I it's, know, and it's I like know, limited to like
1: what eight seconds. I think it's two. Oh, two? <laughs> that's even worse. Um, but but I, I understand that. I'm just saying that Sony seems to be really interested in high speed, and no other camera manufacturer seems to be just like, really they attacking They have it. have it
0: on their main video processing chip that they're using, and they just say, oh, yeah. well, we'll just throw it in with everything. Don't even worry about it, you know? Uh, yeah. Th- the other thing that's attractive about the SF5 is that uh you can actually or fs5 is that you could use it with a metabone speed booster with canon yeah. lenses so now you know you, you can use your stills lenses with this but you can get a little get that extra bit of light and get more of a full frame look out of it if you want to that's very attractive or you can combine as, this with something like the sigma what is it 18 to 35 millimeter f eight and yep. a speed
1: booster and and a speed booster yeah be the brightest thing in the world and you'd you'd have no problems in any low-light environment with this camera you'd be out shooting um campfires and stuff like that without a problem the the real question uh which uh, one reason i brought this story too is because he was using that led light that you said you grabbed one of uh that uh, you were a fan of the small um are you talking about called? the uh, aperture light storm no the laden yeah, the little one, the one that like had a built-in rechargeable battery. And on the last podcast, I'm like, "But it's rechargeable. How are you supposed to like turn around and shoot right away?" Look at the second picture. You don't, you doesn't understand what I'm talking about. Look ah. at the second picture. But there's a small Aladdin light that he was interested in. This was in the story too. But the real question comes to you, DJ. That, um, you know, you you felt like the C100 wasn't really for you. It didn't work. Would one of these Sony cameras start to appear to you? I know you like the super small factor. You like carrying stuff around. But is there some kind of project where you imagine having physical like XLR connectors and like physical audio gain dials and stuff like that in what is still kind of a small package? Is this starting to interest you or do you feel like this is another C100 that you're going to like hate and not really be interested in?
0: No, when I saw this, I actually started crunching the numbers to determine if I could squeeze it into my budget. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm still amortizing a few of my cameras because I have to, you know, make sure that I... Make enough money off of them in order to justify the purchase. So until I get to that point, uh, this one is not in the cards simply financially because I've made some other choices uh, rather rashly earlier on <laughs> that uh, you know have limited that. But once I've gotten through that. I will be looking so, again at full size cameras and the FS. You're not going to
1: sell your A7S to
0: buy one of these, is what you're telling me. My A7S, the resale value is falling through the toilet. Yeah, you can go buy an A7S <laughs> Mark One now for you know th- sixteen hundred, fifteen hundred bucks, and yeah. I paid three thousand and some change for it. So I mean. I I have to use that right. camera for the length of time that I spent money on it. Uh, otherwise, it's not worth it to me. So and I, I generally try to make at least three to four times the value out of the camera body before I'm willing to sell it. Uh, so sure. it, the A7S has still got at least another year of legwork on it being charged out before i get get rid of it (laughs) um the fs5 though does look really nice uh i will say in that video that you link to here in the show notes uh he was shooting what mostly uh, 3200 iso yeah that's what he posted it's not nearly as dramatic as shooting at you know 100,000 plus iso on right fs uh seven or not fs7d Man, there's so many closely related titles to these camera names. The Sony S7, the mm-hmm. so I don't know uh, the uh, I can't say that I would go for low light for this. This would be more like if I were to replace my GH4 body and maybe a 5D Mark III. That might be closer to the range because I still do need really well, low light performance. It's and, still
1: it's still doing better than a GH3 at 3200. That's yeah, that's the part well, to think and about. Better
0: than a GH4. I mean, I won't shoot at yeah, 1600 on
1: the GH4, so this is better than that. And and the. the... I'm sure the camera can do more but this is the kind of situation too where he's he has to do things to a broadcast standard he has to be mindful of how much grain is in his image yeah because there's a lot of stuff that will upload to YouTube that maybe I see a lot of people is a little bit more grainy than I would like but it's passable because by the time YouTube compresses it loses a lot of that temporal detail so like the noise kind of goes away in its own when you upload to YouTube that was my big complaint about the C100
0: everybody jumped up and down about how great low light performance it had and and same with the C300, but really, when you get the footage, uh, your contrast goes away, your color and everything kind of just fades out into this, like, mediocre gray, (laughs) and then the noise the noise was awful. Like, there was crawling yeah. noise all over the place. Like, sure, anything that was exposed somewhat properly would be fine, but any of the background stuff, you had crawling noise all over the place. It looked awful. And I know that the 5D Mark III, for example, smears the crap out of your image, but... That's you know, why you don't the, see the noise. The <laughs> noise doesn't look bad, so I don't really care. And I know people fight about resolution and so on, but for me, that crawling noise is just awful. I can't handle it, don't like it. The F or The S7 you know i I love that camera i use it all the time it's great for low light extreme low light and it beats the c100 hands down in low light performance so you know i can't really justify i want this camera i want it okay you got me i want the camera i'm not gonna buy it but i want it it's on my list yeah maybe next year uh, i can justify it towards the middle of the year but uh Moving on down the line, because we've spent a lot of time on this. Uh yes we do have. Do you want to talk about the teleprompter at all or do you want to skip that one?
1: Yeah. Uh well I can spend a second on it. Hey guys, teleprompter.com. That's a pretty easy to remember URL, right? Free teleprompter software. Uh it doesn't scroll. It instead like flashes sentences at you. So And it seems to be pretty well at auto pacing itself so that it's at the way that most people talk when they do broadcast stuff that you can still control it. And it's completely free and it works on your phone. So, hey, if you need a prompter and you weren't prepared because the client didn't tell you that they needed a teleprompter, you can try going to teleprompter.com and see if you can have a quick fix.
0: All right, moving on down the line, uh, I'm going to skip this Verivon uh, story and move to the last thing on the list here. Red has released a new form of the Scarlet. It's the Scarlet W. This is a 5K camera that's capable of shooting, what, like 120 frames at 4K, uh, 60 frames at 5K, and various other things. The big news here, actually, is that uh, they're finally replacing the last version of the Red sensor, which is long in the two, three years now. And they've been promising upgrades. For quite some time, Uh, this one won't be an upgrade cycle, but they will give you a $2,500 credit if you turn in your older camera. Uh, It's a $10,000 body. You know, is this as exciting as it would have been to indie filmmakers five or six years ago when red was all the rage now that we have things like the camera we just talked about the sony fs5 fs7 all of these under this price range offering a ton of features maybe not quite as in-depth features you know uh, 150 frames per second at 4k uh 300 frames per second at 2k those are really nice but would you save five thousand dollars and go with something like the fs7 over this
1: you know that's that's interesting because you brought up indie filmmakers. Um I don't think that this has ever been really an interesting approach for indie filmmakers. I guess Well you're when right. I say indie filmmakers I'm talking I know. Uh, I like know you're sponsored- talking
0: about sponsored uh yeah you're going talking to about Sundance uh like five million
1: dollar uh, budgets
0: maybe exactly. like you know low budget stuff no um not like my indie even, budget where I have like twenty thousand dollars to right, shoot the entire film you're
1: you're no budget films um no this is something that I feel like uh, e- even for a five million dollar production um you know the Reds have gotten immensely better in terms of like their interface their software tons of stuff uh, but the only real advantage be with shooting red has always been like that red medium, like being able to shoot raw and correct later. And I feel like a lot of the time, I don't know, for something like between one to five million in their features, I feel like most directors aren't going to want to spend a quarter of their budget on post-production. And then if you're not shooting raw, there becomes less of a reason to go with something like a red. And you can go with something that's just shooting a super high bit rate uh, you know, ProRes or H two six four and like you can look at the black magic cameras uh at that level and stuff like that. So it's one of those that like even when red was popular, I felt like it was only popular for your super mega blockbusters. They all bragged about it because they're they didn't have to have a separate high speed camera for a lot of this stuff, uh like they did on um I think wanted was like the first feature film on a red or something like that. Uh, the one where they curved the bullets, if I remember that right, a long time ago. Wow. I'm getting, yeah, that's, uh, we're getting old. Now,
0: <laughs> if you, if you look at actually what people are shooting on right now, especially in a high production value, shoots, it's, uh, it's Aerie, across the board, uh, across the board. So, and it, there's a really great site. It's called uh, ShootOnWhat.com. shoot on I love that site. And if you want to know, you know what the most popular cameras are being used for, uh, across the board, uh, you can, you can look up the camera, look up the production, and so on. And uh, uh, primarily, it used to be like Red was sort of taking up the good a good twenty or thirty percent of the market for productions. Oh, yeah. Now it's dropping way down. I'm seeing Aerie on you know everything that goes to an award ceremony is shot on an Airy camera these days, with the occasional Canon
1: popping in or Sony. But uh, sure, I don't know. it's, it's for a weird me, market. I- I, I, and I, I, I kind of let me try to like phrase where I think you're trying to go with this, and that's that uh, the Reds have seemingly lost a lot of popularity, and with so many other people in the marketplace, they're hitting the same things that Red was kind of all about when it started. Because when Red was really kind of becoming more than half of the films that were in theaters were shot on red red was like the only way to do 4k on the cheap, you know, maybe that like, wasn't a black magic camera or something like that. Like red was like the only way to get like raw 4k footage you know and film on it without spending the price of an area alexa it was like the only competition out there i felt other than film well and, and it so was really now- nice because for four thousand dollars you could rent a red one package
0: for two weeks and film yeah. on it, it were, and we're that's that was like half or a third the price of what you would spend on any other setup and then the amount absolutely you know you got 4k out of it you got raw footage out of it those are all great things but then, you know, people like me, for example, never really thought about what am I going to do in post. And at the right. time when that was a popular move to make, you had to have like a Red Rocket card in order to process your footage. You had, you know, I actually worked off of proxies and had to have someone else take care of my coloring. So it's, I don't know, right. And so
1: it's just it's just not now as cool though as it was before a lot of a lot of uh, prosumer level what have you. Uh, is uh, coming down to this this level where they have 4K. I mean, not 6K, not 8K, you know, it's nothing crazy, but, like, 4K is very commonplace. We have DSLRs with 4K footage coming out of them. How crazy is that?
0: DSLRs. Um, mirrorless? Okay.
1: Mirrorless, I guess. Yeah, sure, mirrorless because uh, Canon won't do it, and Nikon seems to be falling off the wagon. Uh, But it's, yeah, we, we've we got these tiny handheld cameras that are doing 4K at this point. So the claim to fame of RED just doesn't seem to be there now that, like, everyone else is reaching 4K. Um, we still don't have TVs that are 4K. Like, 4K as a broadcast format isn't there yet either. So 4K is only really for post. We have consumer tech at 4K. We have prosumer tech at 4K. We've got handy, like... I called them handy cams, whatever you want to call them. Small prosumer camcorders are at 4K. Um, so now, like Red, what do you have to brag about besides the fact that you shoot RAW? Which they are probably the only ones who do 4K and RAW besides a Black Magic, which a lot of people have differing and the RAW workflow
0: for Red is is much better. Uh, Working with Red code is so much nicer than freaking DNG files. There's
1: Uh. there's a whole industry behind it, and Black Magic's built around like an open source. I don't even think it's an ideology; just for price, they're built around open source. Well, and that's the
0: thing. So Red had like the technological lead when they first entered the market, but then uh, they've done stuff like the Mysteria. Uh, sensor they have they've, they've said okay we're going to give you this new thing and then it doesn't come forever or the promise of 4K for 4K you know th- that never really materialized we never got the $4000 4K camera that Reddit always talked about and over the over time they've sort of o- allowed their market share to erode because They're not the innovator anymore. Now they're just another camera in the lineup. Before, they were the major innovator. They had all the cool stuff. They were getting all the cool tech out before anybody else. They were offering it in a sub $20,000 price range because the bodies for the original Red One were, what, like $10,000, $9,000? And then you could kit them out and, and hit maybe... 18,000 uh, to 20,000, depending on right. what accessories and monitors and so on. And now, you know, you have Aries dropping cameras down into the $30,000 range for those sorts of purchases. I mean, how do you justify going with Red versus Sony or any of these other ones? And then, even on their lower price models, you have stuff like uh, the FS5 that that it's in such a good price bracket that, yeah. you know, it's missing some of the stuff. but. Dang, is it cheap? I will definitely um, buy something that's good enough if I don't really need, you know, crazy frame rates or whatever. Well, and
1: you. and in terms of that post production, if you don't need raw, uh, this raw, may be a crazy Raw's thought a process, pain in the butt, man. <laughs> well, this this may be a crazy thought, but uh, I'm well. As much as I'm really interested in these Sony's FS7, FS5 cameras, I I haven't seen uh, something really narrative shot on them yet. And that was always like a complaint. People are like, Panasonic looks a little video-y. And I don't argue with them. You have to work a little bit to get it away from looking kind of sharp and kind of video-y. Because uh, even when, um, I don't know if it's Philip Bloom or who, somebody did a short on the GH4 before it went to market. And even then, that short kind of felt like, I don't know, made for TV kind of a thing. It didn't feel very cinematic and it was more than just the lighting and the lens choices and everything else. It was something about uh, the data and the sensor. And so uh, RED has always had a pretty good filmic look. The way that it handles the grain and the uh, highlights and everything else is really good, too. I'm not convinced that the Sony cameras are quite hitting that point. I don't think they look as video-y, maybe. As, I hate using that word. But as video-y as like, the Panasonic GH4 does out of the box. Um, though things like vlog and stuff like that can definitely help in oh, that. Oh, and department. you're going
0: to get much better 4K imaging out of the FS5 and FS7 than you do out of the GH4. I
1: mean, sure, yeah, because you got the higher bit rates and everything else. But uh, if you want kind of something that comes out of the camera already looking pretty filmic, and uh, you don't need raw because you aren't going to do a whole lot in post. It's like renting a C500 or something like that. You can get that 4K if you want it, or a C300 uh, if you don't need the 4K, well, and that, you can get a lot more. Does the Mark two of the 300 yeah. have internal 4K recording? I, I think it, yeah, I think it has internal 4K recording, but... I, I keep I keep forgetting because all these marks have, like, really changed what each of the cameras do, and it's all over the place, but... I'm, right, like, I used to have an encyclopedic
0: knowledge to be able to rattle off parts and label numbers <laughs> of everything, but now, you know, you have uh, the 7-series, the uh, you know, mirrorless cameras from Sony, you have the 7-series uh, video cameras from Sony, you have the 100-series, the 300-series, you have the... V- the 5D Mark III, there so many numbers are close enough to the same now that I actually do have to pay attention to <laughs> the show notes in order to know what the heck I'm supposed to say. I don't know. It, basically, guys, we're not we're not bagging on RED too much, but I know a ton of people that were in the RED camp pretty solid who have moved away from it simply because they've been promised new stuff coming down the pike and haven't gotten it yet. And yep. so many other camera companies are offering up very attractive pricing as well as feature sets that it makes it hard to justify going over to the Red Camp.
1: And and of the Red Camp, there's one more point I want to make. I don't know if this is still true, uh, but on a few behind-the-scenes videos recently of some people who are shooting projects, they are talking about... uh, uh using the Canon C300 to shoot something and they've talked about how it's you know the mirror the the screen automatically flips and rotates depending on how you position it on the front of your camera saying that the uh the red monitor never had uh like a flip and a flop i think it only had like one one type of flip so like, it it, it made it so you could only mount the monitor in, like, two ways. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't look right side up in your viewfinder. And I think that that's been a request for Red to fix in their firmware for a long time, and they've never touched it. So it could be little things like that that people have been demanding from Red and Red's been kind of lacking on uh, as why maybe they move over to other equipment.
0: Now, if you do want a discount on a Red Scarlet X... Uh, you can find these guys down as low as four thousand dollars on uh, eBay. A lot of people are selling off their kit left and right. So, uh, if you well, you there's really... probably
1: a few people who even like buy it for a project and then sell it. Yeah, depending on the range happen, of the project
0: that used to happen a lot more than it does now, simply because the price is dropping so dramatically. Uh, mm-hmm. it, in the older older days, and I say the older days, like four years ago, you could go buy a brand new camera, shoot an entire project, and you could resell it within like uh, six months or a year at roughly the same price. You'd lose maybe a couple hundred bucks. Now, it's like I'm seeing camera prices drop in half over the course of a year. And uh, that's such a big drop, especially even in the higher end cameras, because there's so many new devices coming that's, out. That's like the cell
1: phone market, man. It's just cannibalizing
0: itself. So you can't really plan on uh, resale as part of your budget because before you you could be like, okay, well, I'm buying, you know, $10,000 worth of camera gear, but at the end of the shoot, I'm going to sell that off. I figure I'll lose like 20%. So here's my margins. No problem. Right Now it's more like you have no idea. Like lenses are still pretty stable. You can still get your money out of those, but bodies and accessories are- Canon's
1: upset at people from cannibalizing them in the gray market when they themselves like took their c300 mark one and shattered the price and like upset a lot of people even people that i know that almost that bought that camera two months before a giant price drop um that that kind of is feels like you're turning your back on your uh, your customer base when you do that kind of stuff. So you're right. You have no idea what's going to happen with the value of this camera down the road. I remember things like the AF 100, which no one even thought was that great of a camera, but everyone you know on the message board said it would be the next coming. Uh, I think that camera stayed at three grand for something like four or five years, and but now like everything coming out right now it's just shattering and dropping in price so readily.
0: Man. <laughs> I'm looking at these red prices, and it's it's just unbelievable how how cheap it's gotten. That's uh, that's crazy. All right, on that note, Devin, do you have anything else you want to cover before we get out of here?
1: No, I I think I've ranted for far too long. Man,
0: I see that glass of wine next to you is completely empty too. <laughs> Good job, buddy. All right, on that note, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Devin, as always, has been a great co-host of the show so thanks man for sticking with it for so long you can find the show <laughs> on itunes soundcloud anywhere else uh the podcasts are distributed devin where can people find you you can
1: find me at twitter at DevoCut, cut where i'll argue more about uh reds and ca- panasonic and cameras and and crappy chinese batteries that keep turning off on me hey one last thing i wanted to to note before we get out of here actually is that
0: The last episode, I mentioned the Leica cameras, and a number of you corrected me, and I want to point this out. They did. They did. They they got angry, too. I don't pay enough attention to Leica, so obviously I don't know what's going on here. Obviously. Apparently, Leica has been rebranding Panasonic cameras for the last like five or six years. How could years, you so. not
1: know, DJ? They've uh, been rebranding for years. <laughs> I didn't know
0: that they had a FC 1000 clone that was Leica branded. Uh, I did not know that several of the other flavors of of Panasonic's cameras were rebranded and marked up like 5,000. To to be honest,
1: that's probably why you don't know is because Leica hasn't come out with a camera that has any outstanding features like like it, it, because of that you like no one talks about it because they go well it's the same thing really as this camera they're comparable so what's the point point? and if that camera came out first that's the one that gets the press so since like isn't coming to market with anything fresh and new you haven't heard the brand or paid attention to any of the cameras because it's not worth paying attention to
0: the other correction i'm going to throw in there is that i mentioned the LX100 doesn't have image stabilization I've actually just never read through the menus. It does, in fact, have image stabilization. I just never actually ran into it. So uh, those two cameras, the LX100 and the D, uh, the Lux D109, are exactly identical not just kind of identical so there you go guys <laughs> and you can also buy the panasonic in a gray form factor with a classy brown-ish motif so you can still get that like a look on that note i'm going to close out this show thanks again for watching listening and make sure you like subscribe and do all that stuff that is great for our itunes ratings we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of dslr film noob podcast <laughs>